Today's passage comes from Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And, when they, and they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right, thank you, Scott. Good morning, Arcadia. How y'all doing today? Okay, not bad. All right. There you go. Thank you, Joseph. Um, if you're new, my name is Frank, and uh, I'm one of the pastors here, and it's been a little while since I've been up here, a few weeks, and so I feel like I have some things to get kind of caught up on, uh, so bear with me on all of that. Um, uh, first of all, uh, you maybe saw when you came in on your seats, uh, you got to grab one of these bingo cards. Uh, last week, the kids got to play bingo, and I was really jealous that we've never played bingo with the adults on a Sunday morning. So here's your bingo card, 25 uh, things that I will probably say, and I think I've already said one of them. Uh, so at any rate, uh, I have uh, prizes for the first four people after the service who come up to me with a bingo, uh, whatever it is, I don't know, just you got to get five in a row, I think, or something like that, um, and I'll give you your prize. So please... Uh, do that. Uh, second of all, um, I've been taking sort of a, uh, a, a survey, an informal survey about Thanksgiving. And so I haven't been up here since Thanksgiving. So how many, you all have a good Thanksgiving? So here's the informal survey and what I've discovered. I've discovered that uh, the vast majority of people, uh, when it comes to Thanksgiving meals, uh, it's not the turkey they like, it's the side dishes that's their favorites. How many of you would say it's the side dishes that get, yeah, see, there's lots of, hand. so turkey is, I even had one person just flat out say, turkey's trash, I'm, I'm in it for the side, for the side dishes. Anyway, our family, uh, our family, well, our family, the Palfineer side of the family, uh, I got introduced when I joined the family to something called cheese corn casserole. Has anybody ever had Cheese, okay. Oh, cheese corn, okay, there you go, one person. It's amazing, isn't it? It is, oh my goodness. I, I get it twice a year, usually at, at Thanksgiving and Christmas, 
And, and it, I mean, it is bonkers, I'm telling you. And then the fights over the leftovers of cheese corn casserole. And my sister-in-law only makes one pan of it, which aggravates me. She could make two and solve a lot of problems uh, for a lot of us. And here's the other thing about it. it uh, it's, it's totally unhealthy, so it's a lot of fun to eat as well. So that's, I enjoy that. So anyway, I uh, want to remind you that Midweek Bible Study is going again. We're, we're going through uh, 2 Corinthians right now. We'll probably finish sometime around the end of uh, January, but we do have two Wednesdays when we won't meet for Midweek Bible Study. That'll be December 21st and December 28th. We're going to take those Wednesday nights off because we figure that you have um, a lot of Christmas shopping to do and then a lot of Christmas returns uh, to do, and you could do those on Wednesday. Wednesday nights. Uh, last thing is I want to I remind you that uh, next Sunday is actually Commitment Sunday for our Sacred Space uh, Initiative, the new um, sanctuary that we're going to be building. And if, you, if, you're, if, that, if that's something that's brand new to you, we have the brochure back at the Connect Desk, and you could talk to Andrea or talk to one of the pastors uh, and get more information about that. But I wanted to just kind of bring you up to date a little bit on what's been happening. Uh, the Commitment Sunday isn't until next Sunday, and yet we've got some early returns, and they have been very encouraging, and I'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. But um, I wanted to mention uh, this. If you are thinking, and I know some people do this, uh, and that's fine, but I just want to encourage you about this. If you're thinking, I'm just going to give, but I, I don't think I need to let them know what my pledge is going to be. I just want you to know that it's helpful for us to get the, the pledge. We understand it's just a pledge, but it's helpful for us in terms of planning. So if you're kind of on the fence, you're going to give, but you're not sure you want to let us know, uh, please let us know. It's helpful for planning. And then um, the encouraging part, uh, we would say that uh, one of the things that we're praying for and hoping for, uh, we feel like we need... Uh, 10 to 12, what would be considered large gifts, 10 to 12 in that 50 to $200,000 uh, range that would really kind of uh, put us over the top in addition to everything else. And, and we've gotten a few of those already. And, and if, you're, if you're thinking that word, uh, the, a few, that sounds really vague and imprecise, let me give you a definition of a few. A few is more than two and less than four. So that, that, that'll help you out there. Um, but, so as I've said, we have a pretty good start there. However, as is true of every building initiative, I've been, I've been through a couple of these, as is true of every building initiative, the meat really comes from those who are giving over the three years five to $20,000. That's really where the meat is. And so if you're also thinking um, that your five to 20,000 isn't really gonna make a difference, you're wrong. It really does make a big difference. So. Um, that's all I have on sacred space. Remember, next week is uh, Commitment Sunday. You know, we'll, of course, take pledges after next week. But um, we are trying to uh, get, for planning purposes, get that pretty much nailed down uh, next week. So um, we are in this Advent series. Uh, I will say that every year for Advent, we have these four or five messages that we have to put together that have an Advent theme. And so um, every year we get to Advent. And by the way, this is the one time a year when not all of the redemption congregations are doing exactly the same thing. All 10 redemption, Arizona redemption congregations have a preaching calendar that we go through. 
So next, next year, 2023, we'll start with uh, Luke chapter 12 for a few weeks, and then we're going to go into Isaiah 40 through 55 for nine weeks. Then we're going to do a, a study on biblical sexuality for seven weeks. Yes, yeah, seven weeks on biblical sexuality. Uh, then we're going to do um, 1 John, and then we're going to, here you go, next fall, some of you are like, oh, now i got to stick around all the way till fall 2023. But next fall, we're going to go through uh, the book of Revelation for 16 weeks. So that'll be really exciting. Uh, we thought we'd prepare for the 2024 election by doing that. Anyway, um, <laughs> every year when we come to this Advent thing, I digress. Every year when we come to this Advent thing, it's like, what are we going to do this year that's, that's different but still has that Advent theme that Jesus has come and he's coming again. And this is the most important thing that, that Christians can uh, talk about. And so uh, this year, I just want to give uh, a shout out to Tyler James because he's the one who put together this year's series. And, and it was interesting. Uh, he came a couple weeks ago. He came and he said, are you feeling it on this series? Are you excited? <laughs> said, yes, I've never been more excited about an Advent series. I think it's great. The idea is that we're looking at Jesus through all these different perspectives or different vantage points. And so uh, last week, uh, Tyler started it off with uh, looking at Jesus through the perspective of family. So he talked about Jesus and Mary and Joseph and Vin Diesel, and so that was kind of exciting. Um, today we take a look, a closer look at the shepherds and looking at Jesus through the perspective of work, of work. Next week will be a perspective of spirituality, and then the last, uh, the last Sunday uh, will be uh, through the perspective of leadership, but not very good leadership because we're going to look at Herod. Uh, and then Christmas Eve, we're going to talk about truth, capital T, uh, truth. But today we get to talk about work. But to get you up to, uh, to speed with today's passage, which is 8 through 20 in Luke chapter 2, uh, I want to read the first seven verses of Luke 2 just to get us up to speed so we understand the context. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all were to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. She was pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for Mary to give birth and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them at the inn. So here we are. Jesus has been born, laying in the manger. They're hanging out, uh, just sort of post-birth. And it's just one of the uh, many ancient prophecies from the Old Testament that has now been fulfilled that, that the suffering servant, the Messiah, the coming Savior would be born in Bethlehem. So there's a fulfillment of Scripture right there. Now the next two verses that starts our passage for today. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. So here are these shepherds. These guys are minding their own business, doing what shepherds do. And if you've 
if, you, if you're wondering about that, uh, let me just say, Tom used to use, our founding pastor, Tom Schrader, used to use this, this phrase all the time when talking about uh, most of us for work. It's, it's kind of the glory of the grind. How many of you go to work every day and it's just a mountaintop experience for eight or ten hours all the way through? Okay. See, there's the glory of the grind, the magnificence of the mundane. It's something that all of us, no matter what we're doing, what kind of work we do, whether it's, uh, whether it's really exciting stuff or uh, it doesn't matter what it is. It's just that there's a lot of stuff that's routine and mundane. Now, you may ask, what is it exactly that first century uh, shepherds do? So just a little bit of helpful context and information on that. I want to talk a little bit about what shepherds in the first century did. First of all, biblically speaking, shepherding is the third oldest vocation that's mentioned in the Bible. So it's one of the first vocations. If you're wondering what the first two are, it would be manager or overseer and gardener. So those are the first two. They're kind of tied for first. That's what Adam was doing in the garden in Genesis chapter 2. And then comes shepherding. Second of all, Many of our favorite biblical characters were shepherds, including King David. And, of course, Jesus is the true and great shepherd. And then finally, here's what first century shepherds did. Number one, they worked very hard. Do any of you work hard? Or do any of you think you work hard? Do any of you have hard work? Okay. Uh, second of all, shepherds were on call 24 hours a day, kind of like parents. Okay. Third, shepherds were protectors of the sheep, often putting their life on the line for the sheep, kind of like parents. They were also providers for the sheep, kind of like parents. They were the first-line healthcare professionals for the sheep whenever they were injured or sick, kind of like parents. They comforted the sheep when they were anxious and sheep were anxi uh, uh, often anxious, so they were like sheep psychologists, so kind of like parents. Okay. They patiently provided wisdom for the sheep whenever the sheep were foolish, which we know is quite often, kind of like parents. And they were in charge of making sure the sheep had enough grass to eat and enough water to drink, and they would groom the sheep whenever necessary, kind of like parents. And finally, shepherds had to be good accountants and inventory managers because at night, the shepherds would often mix their flock with other shepherds' flocks in an optimal space to rest for the evening. So they'd have like these sheep slumber parties. And then in the morning, they would get up and they would drink their coffee and then they'd have to get all the sheep unmixed. And one other thing, we need to remember that in their context, shepherds were often loathed by everybody else. They were loathed by the other people. They were marginalized. By the first century, shepherds were considered unskilled labor. They were inarticulate, at least from the perspective of everybody around them, and they were dirty. And as a result, they were often marginalized socially and economically. And yeah, I would say kind of like parents today being marginalized socially and even economically. Again. I think this is just so God. God often picks the lowliest, the marginalized, and those who are scorned by the elites in order to do his work, his bidding, and his purposes. 
It, it just, again, it reminds me of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 25 through 29. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Now, here's an irony. Uh, Likely, these sheep that these shepherds were tending, they were actually inventory for the temple sacrifices in Jerusalem because they were just a couple of miles away, and they had to have lots of inventory of sheep ready for the sacrifices there. But now the ultimate final sacrifice has been born just a few miles away. So there's some irony there. So this, this is at night. They were on call. They were kind of working. But there's kind of this downtime where they've got the sheep settled. And they're hoping that they can get some rest. But this is when this angel interrupts their quasi-downtime. And, and they're afraid. Scripture tells us they're afraid. So what about this fear? Well, I don't know. Wouldn't this be frightening to you? You, You're kind of getting settled in for your downtime. And and maybe you're thinking about what you're going to watch on TV or eat for dinner, whatever. And boom, this angel of the Lord shows up. All kinds of bright light around that you've never experienced before. Wouldn't it be frightening? I've heard people say, you know, I sure wish an angel of the Lord would come and talk to me. Are you sure about that? Are you sure? Um, You know, in the gospel, uh, we're called and even given the strength to be bold, and we should be. But that doesn't mean that spiritual stuff doesn't get a little dicey at times. I know for a fact this kind of freaks some people out. But if you're ever interested, I'd be happy to sit down and tell you about the four or five times that I know the Holy Spirit spoke directly into my conscience, into my spirit with a message. Not audibly, but I knew that this was the Holy Spirit of God talking to me about something. And the reason I knew it was because what he was telling me did not contradict Scripture and I didn't like it. (laughs) It's kind of how you know. But, but I listened because I didn't think of it. I didn't come up with it. And I knew it was biblically sound. And it's a little bit freaky, but I got to tell you something. There's a lot of comfort there. I got a lot of comfort out of that as well. I can also, if you're interested, tell you about the one time, the one time that I was spiritually attacked with a full frontal darkness attack. Now, most often, Satan attacks us in ways that we don't even realize that we're being attacked. His MO, his schemata, as the Bible describes it, is to come as a friend, as a counselor, as somebody just asking questions, as these weird little thoughts that we get, not confronting us, not being obvious. Satan knows that if he comes at us in this really obvious way, uh, most of us are just going to go, that's a problem, and go the other way. And that's, he doesn't want that. He wants to engage us. So it's very similar to the way he approaches 
uh, the woman in the Garden of Eden. He just sidles up to her and just starts asking her seemingly innocent questions. And the next thing you know, chaos. Okay? And by the way, these subtle attacks from Satan are daily attacks, whether we realize it or not. Most of the time we don't realize it. But I have experienced the other kind too, once, personally, and then once, also, in this very congregation. I don't know if any of you were around eight years ago when that happened in this congregation. We were over at 42nd Street and Thomas when that happened. Now some of you are listening, I see that, because it happened, and we had to uh, deal with it at that time. The point is, here's the point of all of that, just to, just to prepare you for this. I've found that many people are, they sort of have this brazen or even flippant or aloof attitude toward this kind of stuff until it happens to them. Then they're awake. Then they realize this stuff is real. Then they realize what Paul tells us in the last part of Ephesians 6 and what Jesus constantly warns us about, that the reality of this universe is happening somewhere else kind of in this unseen realm, but it's there and it affects every one of us for good and for evil. Well, perhaps these shepherds were like that too. They were sort of aloof or flippant or brazen about this and then this angel shows up right before them with all of this light. And what we, what we need to remember is that even when God does not reveal himself to us in spectacular ways like an angel of the Lord, he's always revealing himself to us in wonderfully routine ways, always revealing himself. He's, he's revealing himself to you right now through this service, the music, the word of God, everything that's happening here, he's revealing himself. He's revealing himself to you through prayer, if you pray. Sometimes the best prayers that we can have with God are not when we're speaking, but when we're listening. He reveals himself to us through his word. He reveals himself to us through community. If you're in a, a, a redemption community, a small group, or, or even just having coffee with a fellow believer, and he can reveal himself to us through worship, just through singing, just through praise. God is always there, even in the midst of spiritual attacks or in the midst of great revelations. He's always there. So verses 10 and 11 and the angel said to them, Fear not, don't be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He says, Settle down, guys, don't be afraid. Ironically, these are Jesus' most often uttered words in the New Testament by far. Fear not, don't be afraid. He says that about 500 different times in the Gospels. Anyway... The angel says to them, this is good news and great joy that is for all the people. Yes, all. It's for all. Well, sure, the good news is offered to everybody. The good news is offered to all people. But if sheep won't eat, you can't feed them. You ever tried to feed a baby that refuses to eat? It's kind of frustrating, isn't it? But the baby usually wins. Okay. When presented the gospel, and let me explain the gospel for those of you that are wondering what in the world is that. The gospel is this. You and I, because of sin, we are in a state apart from God and we're born into that state. 
We're born into this, we're not born tabula rasa with a clean slate. We're not born essentially good. We are born into sin, into rebellion against truth, against God, against all that is good. And I know that's hard for some people to hear. No, I'm really a basically a good person. Notice how you always have to use a qualifier, basically. See, that allows for you to be a really bad person some of the time. But then you're thinking, it's kind of like the PGA Tour, you know, I just got to make the cut and then I'm getting into heaven. That's not how it works, okay? We're born into sin, and the only way that we can be reconciled to God because of that sin is because Jesus came and lived as God in the flesh a perfect life, and then he went to the cross as the perfect sacrifice for our sin, and then three days later he was raised from the grave to give us new life. All of that is imputed to us, that righteousness, that holiness, that salvation, that reconciliation with God, that restoration, all of that is imputed to us through Jesus Christ when we come to him and say, I'm giving my life to you now. That's what it means to become a Christian. So when presented the gospel, if that person that you're presenting it to refuses, you can't make that person embrace Jesus. You can't argue somebody into the kingdom. Yes, the gospel is for everyone. But not everyone will come. Not everyone will listen. Not everyone will accept the gift. Not everyone will have the Holy Spirit reveal Jesus to everyone's heart and mind. It, it just doesn't happen that way. So, while the message is for all, look at verses 12 through 14. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger... And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the multitude of the heavenly hosts broke out in song, I, I will tell you, I, I kind of wish I had been there to see that, but far enough away that I wouldn't be too scared by it, but close enough to be able to watch the shepherd's reaction to that. There's one angel, and now all of a sudden there's this choir of angels. I just would have, I would have gotten a video and posted it to YouTube and gotten a million, you know, views of them just reacting to this, okay? If they were flummoxed by one angel, imagine how they felt about the heavenly choir. Anyway, what we need to look at here, though, is more, uh, we need to look more closely at, at verse 14. A lot of greeting cards around this time use this verse, right? You've seen those greeting cards, you know? But, but that last part of the verse, verse 14, is cut off. Among those with whom God is pleased. That part of the verse is always cut off in these greeting cards. Have you noticed that? It's not the whole verse. Now, why is that? Well, the verse, another way to interpret the rest of that verse is uh, it means on whom God has graced or God has shown his favor. So why why do so many com companies truncate this part of the verse? Well, we hate the idea that although the gospel is for everyone, not everyone will come. Not all will be shown, and therefore not all will be shown favor by God. And so we certainly don't want to offend those who decide not to come, those who reject God's favor. It's interesting to me how grown people can make bad decisions in our world and then we have to tiptoe around them on eggshells so that they're never offended by the fact that they made a bad decision. But I digress. Digression's one of my spiritual gifts. Have you noticed that? <laughs> so then the next five verses, 15 through 19. 
When the angels went away from them and into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that, uh, that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. They were just coming to the party at this point. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. So I like the fact that these guys embraced this God interruption in their lives. They left what they were doing and went right away to see what the angels were telling them about. So often God will tap you and I on the shoulder and rather than embracing it as an opportunity to see God work in our lives, we get annoyed at the thought of being interrupted. Imagine if these guys had been annoyed rather than curious, bothered rather than bold. But verse 19, what's going on with Mary? Everybody's wondering at this, but she's just treasuring this stuff up in her heart. We need to understand that at this point, Mary is already on the inside. She's, she's, she's been on the inside since the very beginning. She's been through all of the struggle and the wrestle and the wondering and, and God really revealing what's happening to her. Everybody else other than Joseph, they're kind of new to what's happening here. This is all new for them. God's angel had already spoken to her prior to the pregnancy. She... She had that whole pregnancy experience with her cousin Elizabeth, which is one of my favorite stories that we find in Luke chapter 1. And, and then Joseph, of course, he's on the inside too. He, he was kind of wondering what he was going to do about this, you know, as his uh, betrothed ends up pregnant and he had nothing to do with it. What, what am I going to do about that? And then this angel appears to Joseph as well and he says, all right, I'm in. I'm in for the burn. Everyone else was hearing and experiencing all of this for the very first time. Mary's down the road already. And so because Mary's on the inside, she's in the know, I think what's happening is she's, she gets the privilege of enjoying and reveling in all of this as it unfolds. She knows that this is special. So she's like, she's taking account of it. She's not wondering. She's going, yeah, let this happen. This is awesome. It's kind of like, when each of my daughters won their state championships in volleyball, as it was happening, I was so hyper-conscious to, to note everything that was happening so that I could be fully immersed in the joy of the moment. Now, I am not comparing a volleyball championship with the birth of Jesus. I'm just saying it's the closest I could get to it. But I, just, I remember just wanting to take everything in. Who's here? What's going on? It just the incredible joy. Mary's feeling incredible joy. She's sitting there going... This is, a, this is an affirmation of what's happening here. These, these shepherds just show up out of nowhere because the angel of the Lord told them. This is, this is really exciting to her. Nothing else mattered to her in the moment. And then the last verse, verse 20. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard as it had been told to them. So they have to go back to work. <laughs> Isn't it awful? I mean, you close the deal, you get the big check. Guess what? Monday, you got to go back to work. You get salesperson of the year. And then the first week of the next year, the boss is like, well, what have you done for me lately? Right? Isn't that kind of how it works? Up and down, up and down. And for those of you who haven't experienced the ups, they're coming, hopefully, for you. Just remember, they don't last. 
They're fun, but they don't last. We always have to go back to work. So here's how I'm going to wrap this up. Nine observations about work. Just nine. Nine observations about work. Here's observation number one. Work is important. If you don't think work is important, read Genesis 1 and 2. Work is all over Genesis 1 and 2. God works, and he puts the man in the garden to do what? Stand around and eat fruit. No, he put him there to eat. I'm sorry, to work. <laughs> Second of all, God identifies with work and is a worker himself. Again, read Genesis 1 and 2. Number three, God reveals himself through work. Again, read, read the Old Testament and see how often the prophets talk about how God is going to reveal himself through the work that he's doing, the work that he has done, the work that he's going to do. God reveals himself through work. God reveals himself through the word, which talks about his work. And then in the New Testament, God reveals himself through the work of Jesus Christ as well. Here's number four. We are called to work, you and I, because it is one of the two primary ways that you and I bear God's image. And creating through our work is one of the primary ways that we bless others and give glory to God. So, you know, in Genesis 1, uh, 26 and 27, it talks about how we are created in God's image. And if you ever go to seminary and you take a systematic theology class, one of the things you'll be required to do is write a paper about what it means to be created in the image of God. Well, there are two primary ways. There are other ways, too, but two primary ways that we bear the image of God. One is that we were created for relationship with God, with others, with his creation, and even with ourselves. And if you read in chapter 3 of Genesis, you realize that all four of those relationships are broken by sin. Our relationship with God, our relationship with others, our relationship with creation, and the relationship we have with ourselves. We're even divided among ourselves. But God exists in relationship. Let us make human beings in our image. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He exists in relationship, in community. We were created to be in relationship. And by the way, not pseudo-relationship being mediated by a screen. We were created to be in in-person relationship. That's the first way. The second way that we bear the image of God is that we were created to work. He's big C creator, but we're little C creators. He gave us all of this so that we could create, produce, and be a blessing to others. No matter where that is, he created us to be little creators so that we could be a blessing to others. I don't care what your vocation is. I guarantee you, I can explain to you how your vocation, whatever it is, wherever it is, is a blessing to somebody else if you would just look at your work in that way. It's not just people who work in churches. It's not just people who work for Christian organizations. That's one of the ways that we give glory to God and we bear his image by working. Number five, because work bears God's image, work gives us dignity. Our culture is running around trying to find dignity in so many other places now. Have you ever thought about turning to God? And what he says is going to give us dignity? 
Here's number six. Marketplace work is no less important than church work. Marketplace work is no less important than church work. I, I, I run into this so often. Uh, people who say, you know, I really wish I could do something that was significant like work for a church. Okay, you need to understand that God has created all of this and he's created you in his image to be a worker, a producer in some capacity. So there's significance no matter where you are doing what you're doing. And it's no worse, no better than working for some Christian organization. I also hear this all the time. This one makes me laugh. I wish I could work for a church because there must not ever be any conflict. It's just working with Christians. Listen to what John Nance, who's a retired FBI special agent and current social commentator, writes in his most recent essay. He says, Christians have lost the culture in part by lionizing full-time Christian vocation. Anywhere a Christian is called, in his or her place of full-time Christian work, anywhere a Christian is called is his or her full-time Christian work. There is no inherent virtue in teaching at a Christian school, for example. Virtue lies in obeying the call of God, and what is sorely needed are men and women of faith in the secular vocations. And he has that in quotes. Impacting culture at its source. A wise man once said that for the Christian, there is no difference between the sacred and the secular. Tom Schrader, our founding pastor, used to say it like this. You are probably, for many people, the only Bible some people will ever read. That's why it's important. That's why it's important. Number seven, homework is no less important than marketplace work. Now, let me tell you something. I, we live in a culture now where home, where I'm not talking about, about um, pandemic protocols. I'm talking about running a household, leading children, parenting. I'm talking about that. We live in a culture right now that has completely devalued that. And I got to tell you something, that's just flat wrong, and we are bearing the fruit of that, um, that disintegration of the importance of people working with their families. It's just as important, if not more important. But we've decided to marginalize that, and look at the fruit we're bearing from that. It's pretty rotten fruit. Homework is no less important than marketplace work. I'm not valuing either. Go and work in the marketplace. Work at home. I don't care. Work in a church. I don't care. It doesn't matter. That's not, there's no hierarchy of this. What I'm trying to say is that anybody that tries to denigrate any work that you're doing anywhere, that you're doing it, is wrong in God's eyes. Work is that important, no matter where it is. Number eight. All of our work, while important and part of our image bearing, still must be submitted to God. See, that's part of the problem, too, is we need to, we need to get up in the morning and ask, God, what are you going to do today? How are you going to use me today? Are you going to open some doors for me today? And if not, maybe it's just not that time. And I'm going to be good with that. I'm going to learn contentment. Remember, contentment is not an anti-ambition, not an anti-aspirational it's not a uh, message. It's not a complacency message. It's just the idea that whatever God has for you, you're going to be able to go, yeah, okay, I'm good. I'm okay with who I am, 
where I am, what I'm doing, and who I'm with. Because that's where God has me today. Tomorrow's another day. He may do something different tomorrow. But today, he's calling me to be content where I am. As he's calling me to be an image bearer in my work. And then number nine, the most important work ever accomplished was Jesus' finished work on the cross. Now, if there is a hierarchy, if there is something that can never be compared, that would be the one. What he did for us on the cross. Our work is honorable and it brings dignity and it bears God's image. But what makes us worthy of God's favor is Jesus' work on and through the cross and the resurrection. So we should remember the gospel is not a reward, it's a gift. And as such, work is also a gift that God gives us for dignity and as a primary way that we bear God's image. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and its truth, and again, just for recording these stories historically so that we can learn from them, we can marvel at them, and we can enjoy them. God, we pray during this Advent season that as your son has already come, maybe he would come for the first time for for somebody who has yet to experience the revelation of who he is in their life. I pray that that would happen today and every day during this Advent season. And God, as we pray for that, we also pray for ultimately your second coming, your second Advent, when you come and restore everything and make everything right. We look forward to that day. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to have our time of uh, response and reflection. We're going to sing two more songs uh, together, and as we do that, we're going to take uh, communion together. If our communion servers would please come forward. As you come forward to, to uh, take the elements, uh, also know that there will be people standing in the wings uh, available to pray with you if you need prayer, if you have any questions. You can do that as well. Let's remember that the other end of Jesus' life on, on this earth, that last night that he's with his, his disciples, his friends, and he's having that meal with them. At one point during the meal, he picks up the bread and he breaks it and he says, this is my body and it's given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he picks up the cup that's filled with wine and after giving thanks, he says, this is the cup of the new covenant that God is making with you through me. This is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. Do this in remembrance of me. And then Paul comes along and he, and he writes, he says, as often as we drink this cup and eat this bread, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again, until that second advent. So that's what we're going to do right now. This is a celebration of the of the grace that we have in our lives, the favor that God has shown us, the revelation that he's given us. It's a celebration that even though we're sinners, we have redemption and restoration, holiness and righteousness through Jesus, his son. Let's do that now. Feel. 
redeeming what was lost and all that could've been. Oh, this is a healing kind of love. You are the truest friend. Staying through the night when I was at my end. Comfort in my heart till it was light again. Oh, this is a faithful kind of love. It's who you are. You are the everlasting Father.
your shoulders oh your shoulders you saved me you saved me you saved me i will never leave your love you saved me you It leads me from the dry wilderness. 
and all I did was bow down, and all I did was say, say. and hallelujah, you have saved me so much And hallelujah, great defender, so much better this way. Oh, you know before I do that my heart can't seek to find your truth. Your mercy is the shade I'm living in, and you restore my faith and hope again, and all I did was pray, and all I did was worship, and all I did was
Well, great to see you. Uh, great to worship with you. My name is Trey, one of the pastors. Today's Intro Sunday, so if you're new or you've been coming for a little bit, you want to learn a little bit more, uh, we're going to take 10 minutes to talk about our church. You can ask me any questions. I'm happy to answer them. Uh, and I'm going to read our benediction as a prayer over us that we may go well into the week. What a strong word that God has called us to work, to work to his glory, and that that's our worship to him, and that it's good. So may this encourage us as we go into the week. Uh, now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God, the Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Amen. Love you guys. We'll see you next week.